Hey there, Kubrick fans. If you like what you hear during this episode, be sure to visit our website at thekubrickseries.com for more episodes and uncut interviews from the series. And you can also consider making a one-time or recurring monthly donation in any amount of your choosing if you'd like to support our podcast. That's thekubrickseries.com. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Kubrick series Uncut. In this episode, we speak with Lisa Leone. Lisa had already established herself as a popular photographer during the hip-hop revolution prior to Kubrick's contacting her. But once he did during pre-production of Eyes Wide Shut, Lisa was all too happy to assist him in any way she could. She eventually graduated to the role of set decorator on the film. My interest in photography was kind of high school and pre-high school. I went to high school more in design and majored in photography. So um, I worked in photo studios in high school. So I was pretty young while while starting to work in the field. Um, and then went on to Rhode Island School of Design. And when I came back to New York, and even before that, I guess in high school, like all my friends were like the guys from Rhythm Technicians and Rocksteady and a bunch of graffiti writers. And, you know, it was the 80s and hip hop, which it's called now, <laughs> was um, being introduced to the world. And it was my friends that were kind of leading charge and all of a sudden needed to like photos of themselves and being out so they were like uh can you take pictures of me for you know i need pictures like promo press pictures whatever again we're like in high school so Mm. i was like okay and then you know as hip-hop grew and grew i mean it was the foundation for me um you know growing up in high school at that time you know and then we just and then it just blew up and then when i came back from college and then i got into back into it in photographing because i had so many friends originally from new york so i just kind of fell back into you know shooting musicians shooting artists but at the same time while i was at RISD, i um got a pa job um in the summertime on do the right thing wow so when i was in RISD, i started to get interested in film and then when I got that do the right thing job, I made a lot of friends. And when I graduated, I came back and now the production and the crew that was with do the right thing, they were doing all the music videos and the hip hop and all, you know, it was all, it was a very small community back then. It wasn't what it is now. You yeah. know, this is pre cell phones, you know, it's like computers just came out, you know, was, a different time so was it obvious to you much more of an organic community yeah was it obvious to you at that time in new york in the in the 80s uh the period that you're talking about that something like some some great new artistic expressions were emerging and that you were just right there on the cusp of it i would have probably photographed more if i knew that (laughs) i think about (laughs) all the images i didn't capture no, because, I, you know, when you're part of something, you don't realize it. I was a kid, and I was having fun, and that was my boyfriend, and he was a writer, and we were doing this, and we were going out to Roxy and this one was dancing. You know, not realizing this was going to take off. Mm. You know, like when you see the Russell Simmons, and you see, like, those types, they were they're older, right? They're, like, maybe eight, ten years older. 
So they had the foresight to be able to see that. I was kind of a teenager still. Right. So I was, you know, we were just having fun, like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> we have shows in galleries now, and this is happening. I wasn't looking like this is going to take over the world. You right. Know? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, under- I, didn't I understand. See that. When you're when you're photographing a subject, and you, you photographed uh, a number of people in a number of professions, but the, you know primarily uh, great music photographs you've taken. When you're doing a a photograph or a portrait, what what is it important for you to get a sense of before you 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 stage that photo or, or snap it? Um, the thing, the way that I like to work is I don't really. I don't really shoot in studio. Like I don't like stage. I, I, I like a natural environment. I need mm-hmm. a lot of natural lighting, although I use lighting also. And it's just, and I don't really have a lot of assistance. I don't have, I like it to be very um, intimate mm-hmm. and to try and just capture kind of like an inner essence of the person. Like even Snoop when he saw I saw Snoop like maybe eight years ago when I started to kind of um, when I took out all the archives and because everything was you know slides or negatives, so I started scanning stuff. And a friend of mine managed Snoop, and I was like, "Look at these!" And he's like, "Oh my God, you have to show Snoop. Come to the you know whatever they were at the studio." And he couldn't even believe it. He was like, "How did you?" He goes, "I don't really understand how you captured these." images of me at this time because I was very closed mm. and guarded and any pictures from me at that time you see I'm posing I'm closed he's like but I'm really open here like you really caught that and um so you know I used to I shot with a Leica I didn't go and try and be in people's faces I waited for a moment like I can feel like we have a conversation and it was just an intuitive moment like okay now you know it's like I maybe only had a couple of rolls of film also so it was also being practical like I not like digital photography where you could just shoot 6,000 photographs and edit later mm. you know it's like I had I had limited I, I couldn't waste that kind of film so it sounds so, like so it sounds like you're I mean the key to kind of the, the great shots that you've taken I mean there's a element of patience and also I guess it would be important to kind of feel like you're embedded in that environment and not just kind of an outsider coming in for an hour or so and shooting photos. That's right. That's right. I would like said, even when I went to like the, you know, the Omatic recording with Niles, I just hung out all day. Mm. It's not like I came in for 10 minutes and was like, okay, bye. (laughs) I just would chill, you know, and, and, you know, get the vibe of what's happening. It's funny because I talk to a lot of young photographers now and I'm like, you guys are so busy shooting. You're not really, you're, you're thinking about the edit and what what it was when you're home already looking at all 6,000 photographs. When you miss, like, understand the environment when you're there already. Mm. You know, like just, what's the vibe what's the feeling so for me it was trying to capture more of that instead of none of my pictures are are very like posy kind of um shots your typical like hip-hop shots or like that so it just wasn't my thing 
Well, uh, onto Kubrick, um, I understand that your introduction to him, did it come through his daughter Vivian, your friendship with her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the time, by this time, I was um, doing uh, the cinematography on music videos by the time I met Vivian. So I had not really been photographing that much. And I've been working on films. I was I was doing some stills on films. I was in the union, but I started DPing um, music videos. And Vivian and I became very close friends. And she had called me one day and said, you know, my dad called me. He's working on pre-production on a new film. He's doing some research. He faxed me like four pages of things he wants me to shoot, but... I'm like moving cross country in a week and I'm not going to be able to do this. He's like, she's like, can you help me? But I can't tell him you're helping me and I can't pay you, but I could buy, I could like get you filmed. And it was, I said, let me see what, what he wants to, what he wants photographed. So I looked and it was like everything. We lived in the West village. We lived around the corner from each other at the time. So I, I was like, this is like all in the neighborhood. It's a walking distance. So I said, yeah, just give me some film and I'll walk around and do it. It wasn't a big deal. Never thinking anything would come out of it. It was just helping my friend out. Like never my wildest dreams would have thought what it turned out to be. So it, um, we did the pictures. She sent them off to him. And then I didn't hear anything for like six months. I forgot about it. And I was in Trinidad shooting Carnival for Vibe Magazine. And when I got home, there was a message on my answering machine from Stanley. Mm. And she said, and then I called Vivian. I said, your dad called. And she said, yeah, I know. I spoke to him. He said, I got the photos. These are some of the best research pictures, you know, I've seen. And then she said, uh, well, i got to be honest with you. <laughs> I didn't take them. <laughs> I mean, he said, what do you mean? Who took them? <laughs> and then he, he said, my friend Lisa, I'm moving. He said, all right, well, ask her if she wants a couple of weeks of work. So I said, yeah, sure. Tell him I'll, 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 yeah, why not? So we started this phone relationship and we just really hit it off. I mean, a lot of it was, you know, he's from the same neighborhood in the Bronx as my family is. Hmm. So he still has that kind of, like, he was like talking to an uncle almost, I felt like. Like, he was easy to talk to. And also, I was, I had it in my head more of like, oh, it's Vivian's dad, not like, it's Stanley Cooper. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which I think made it much easier. Like, because I would, we would talk about Vivian and we'd be like, ah, you know, so, you know, he'd be like, what camera are you using? What is this? And that, you know, we, so it was, and we wanted to wind up talking like every day. And then finally he called me one day and was like, all right, well, I, I fired the New York art director. I said, oh, you want, uh, I can find you. I can look and try and find you another one. He said, no, it's okay. I have you. Well, like, you have me. So all of a sudden I became the only New Yorker on the film. He like got rid of everybody. And I wound up like, buying all the sign, you know, uh, I, I basically I shipped two 45-foot containers to London to build a back lot and for the interiors, like, everything from, like, I used to take mail from my mother and everybody, all her prescription bottles, 
to mm. fill the cabinet, but then take all the garbage cans from people and ask them, here, I'll give you a new garbage can because you wanted them to be aged, right? And you would never really age a garbage can well. So I would just go in and use those and be like, I'll give you this new garbage can for your old one. And they'd look at me like, what was the, the catch? You know, to, you know, the street signs, to lampposts, taxi cabs, everything. And then, um, then I wanted to do all the trans lights. Then I wanted to, it became a joke. Like, he'd be like, I need somebody. He's like, don't tell me you could do that. I go, no, I could totally do that. I basically gave up my life and worked seven days a week all the time. You know, that's, and then finally, that, that's the common theme uh, between a lot of people that wor- worked with him is that, you know, he kind of, no, he kind of you makes your, your makes your acquaintance, kind of feels you out what you're willing or capable of doing. And then two years later, you're still working for him. <laughs> but it was like four years later. I mean, he, it's, um, because he's incredibly charming. Nobody tells you about that part. He's funny. He's charming. He's smart. Like, we'd just be on the phone for hours just mm. talking, you know, about all kinds of stuff. And 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 he was also really, um, he was really good about sharing, like, technical stuff, too. Because even when I got there, so and then he was like, why don't you just come here and be set decorator? Which I have done. It's like a little loophole, right? Like, in the States, an on-set dresser which I've done is what is a set decorator here. So it was like they could get me there because I had the credit of onset dresser, which translates to decorator there. Mm-hmm. So they're like, Oh, she's in New York. She's a, you know, New York decorator and we're doing a New York film. So I was able to get the working papers to go. Um, so then I went there and then did the set decorator and then came back and did the second unit. But it was a constant, like, I don't know, I must have walked the streets of Manhattan four winters in a row just shooting um, possible shots for second unit or backplates. So everything, I would shoot him doubles and we would go over each photo, like I would number them. And then he'd say, all right, go to 32C. That's pretty good. That's pretty good composition. But go back. And like pan left a little and tilt up. Are you kidding? Wow. I wanted to kill myself. Yeah, <laughs> it was intense. So by the time we were doing, I was like, I've done every angle. There are no more angles. And he'd be like, no, I think if you go back. And you know what, though? There was always, there was always another one. And, and so he taught me so much about composition and, mm. and pushing it. Now I can like walk into anywhere and I'm like, this is like the, the the establishing shot. Like I became like after three years of going through Kubrick University, you know. Mm. Um, you know, I want to ask about but, that. I want to ask about okay, that because obviously, yeah. obviously Kubrick started as a photographer, and he had yeah. a very very distinctive eye even at the beginning. And you can yeah. really, when you examine his work in total, from the photographs yeah. to the films, you can see like this through line and this voice that is all his own coming through the the work and i'm wondering how would you characterize his sense of framing and composition wide angle 18 millimeter lens (laughs) (laughs) that was his lens it was like he'd even do close-ups on an 18 millimeter it was hilarious he just loved the way that and you see it even in his 
photography. Like it's it's he didn't really shoot with long lenses. I mean, when there's a time that you need it, yeah. But but if you look, like most of you get a lot of dynamic composition with a wider lens. So so an eighteen millimeter is the um equivalent like if you on on the thirty five millimeter movie camera mm-hmm. an eighteen millimeter would be like the equivalent of a twenty eight millimeter photography SLR. Now I'm not talking digital because then the lenses get all talking film cameras. Mm. So um I mean he shot a lot of two and a quarter though his photography also but but I would say like there's a very particular framing but what he was genius at with his photography if you look at it was telling a story in one frame yeah yeah like he just you look at those photos and it's like oh you got the story in one frame mm. so I'm when, looking at one now on my wall when you were take <laughs> when you were taking all these photos and sending them to him for reference and did you have any idea what this project actually was? No. I just, he told me it's present day New York City. Um, he needed, like, I needed to go find also, like, a tenement apartment and then, like, some place maybe on Central Park. He sent me to his old apartment. I knocked on the door <laughs> and was like, can oh, wow. I come measure your house? Stanley Kubrick is going to People, he let me in, and I measured everyone's houses. It was hilarious. Um, but so I didn't. I know I didn't see a script. I didn't see anything. Wow. I don't. I didn't have anything. I didn't. I'm trying to remember when I first got a script. At one point, he sent me a script to give to Heidi Cartel. This is right before, before we're shooting, so I had to go meet Harvey at his place hand him the script, and then be like, I'm coming back tomorrow to get it. And mm. then I got the script back the next day and then FedEx it back to Stanley. Uh. I must have read it. I must have read Harvey's copy, or maybe he might have had it sealed. Maybe I couldn't. But then when he gave it back to me, I wouldn't. I don't remember when I first read the script, to be honest. Mm. can't remember now. So but what? I didn't, you know, he would just tell me what he needed. You know, he would just be like, you know, or he'd be like, where's, what about, like, where's all the, like, phone booths, you know, the glass phone booths? I used to, I, I would laugh. Like, no, we don't have those anymore. They're gone. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, why? I'm like homeless people. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> so he was actually, I think I read something from you where you talked about he was shocked by the size of the taxi cabs or something. Oh my God! He was called me and said you sent the wrong thing. He's always taxi cab, because he was used to the chubby checkers, mm. you know, the, which they were phasing out at that time. There was maybe like two, you know, you never saw a chubby checker then. Um, he was right. There was so much smaller. It was horrible. So he, I said, Yeah, I know. It's terrible that they phased out those chubby checkers, and now we're stuck with these horrible. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. He would be like, what about this? Is this still there? What is that? I'm like, come on, Stanley, you have to just come here. When can you come? Yeah. I used to tease him all the time. I was like, come, come. But after we finished filming, 
he said, he gave me a bunch of Christian, you know, his wife's books, and said, if you can get Christian a show in New York, I'll come for the show. Oh, wow. Wow. I'll come back to New York for the show. And I said, okay, great. So I gave it to a bunch of friends in gallery, and then, you know, we know what happened. Oh. Man, that gave me chills, the thought of Stanley Kubrick coming back to the States, <laughs> even for a brief visit. I know. Mm. Uh, so, I know, I know. So, so what, what, uh, when, when you finally went to him in England, uh, you, so you were assigned to be the, the official art decorator at that time? Set decorator, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was set decorated, but it was everything because that's how it was with family. It's like, it was like working on a student film, you know? I mean, I would stay with him till two in the morning, testing sets, moving lighting. I learned how to light with practicals. This is where I mean he was so generous in this way where we'd be moving lamps around because, you know, he lit with practicals. So <clears throat> he would explain like, no, you should have one here, one here, one there. This kind of shade does this. We had a ton of shades. We would just move, keep changing shades. We'd be like, all right, go lay in that chair and pretend you're dead. You know, like the naked girl that was in the, yeah. in the bathroom. I'd be like, okay, I'm pretending I'm high. And he would sit there with the 2C, with his little things I'd known with a 2C, and, and we'd shoot. And, and then the next day, I'd be like, how'd it come out? He's like, oh, go, go, go see how they look. So he would share, like, you would learn, I learned so much because you would be able to see like, oh yeah, that works. No, that doesn't work. And then you have conversations about it. It would be like, yeah, that was good. Yeah, that looked good. No, that didn't look good. Or, what do you think about this? Like, you know, he um, there would be conversations. It wasn't, and then there would be times where we'd show up at a location and he'd be like, what are we going to do here? I have no, like, how are we going to like this? Mm. You know, he was, he was not always it was very freeing for me as a young female DP to hear someone like Stanley Kubrick say, I don't know. Yeah. And it, it, I realized, like, it's okay to say, I don't know, and you figure it out. It was one of the biggest things I took away. Well, that's what I love about his his working method, too, from what I understand of it, is that he, he and, and it was the luxury of time, that he truly was able to let a scene or a moment evolve and see where it would go yeah. organically and then meticulously kind of mold it. Uh, yep. Great way of working. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, yeah, no. Sidney so Pollack was like, I'd be killed if I worked like this. But here's what people <laughs> don't talk about with Stanley. He didn't go over budget. Yes, he shot that long, but why? Because all the furniture in, in Tom and Nicole's house were from his house. The dining room was from his daughter's house. We didn't rent anything. We didn't have to buy anything. There was no lights in the lighting truck. He used light bulbs for everything. You know, he had his old, you know, like, low light kit that he bounced. So he was an amazing producer. Mm. Like, people never talk about that. And I'm like, guys, there's a reason he was able to do this. He was, he would, everything I would show him, he'd be like, how much does it cost? How much does it cost to rent? Buy a rent, buy a rent, because he would know something would possibly sit there for three months. Mm. And if you could buy it for ten dollars, why the hell would you rent it for even a dollar a week? Yeah, it is amazing to consider. I mean, he he made a movie over a course of something like two years with the biggest movie star on the planet, 
and uh, and and brought it in at the budget that he did. I mean, that's unheard of. Um, yeah. <laughs> but tell me ab- about some of these sets. I mean, you just mentioned that he brought in a lot of his own stuff and his family stuff to furnish the apartment. What were what were mm-hmm. what were the discussions of what the the, the uh, apartment should feel like, and what are some of the uh, odds and ends that you were tasked to to dress the set with? Well, a lot of the, by the time I got back to London, they had already dressed a lot of the set. I came in and moved some stuff because they had like one of the things that is they kind of like like I sent like they put the wrong coffee thing in Domino's house. They put like an expensive thing there where I was like, no, mm. the cafeteria was supposed to go to Domino's. Why is that there? That was kind of heartbreaking. I was like, can you just reshoot that, please? <laughs> but it was really great. But so there was some stuff that I look at that I'm like, oh, because a lot of it I sent with notes because he still had me shipping stuff and shooting back plates and doing research there. Finally, he was like, all right, come over. So I did a lot of the backlot stuff. Okay. I did some of the Tom and Nicole's apartment, but he did things like just go to, go to Catherine's house and get her dining room set. You know, what's that? It wasn't mm. like I'm feeling like it needs to be. A lot of it is just very practical with him. A lot of, you know, that, that's just the thing with Stanley is that a lot of times everyone to attach this kind of like mystery, but, but he is very practical in mm. his way also. That so is... for him, it's like, just go get this dining room set or go get Christian's paintings and put them on the wall, you know, cause it's not going to cost anything. Right. You know, it is interesting though, how, uh, for, for true movie fans, I mean, Kubrick is such a kind of a deity, uh, that they examine every nook and cranny of a frame. And in Eyes Wide Shut, I know that this, this one writer made made a ballyhoo about, there's a book, I think it's on Domino's shelf, called Understanding Sociology, and it's very prominent in the frame. And uh, this writer yeah. was talking about, that's a key to understanding this movie. And, and you know. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, no. <laughs> it's like... That's like, he laughs about it sometimes. I'm like, did you put this in this, you know, thinking? Like he's, he's much more of a, like I said, he's like a practical, practical person. Like it wasn't, like we had a bunch of different, we tried a bunch of different carpets just because it would have looked good on film. There was no like meaning of the color or blah, blah, blah. It was like, oh yeah, that color looks good. Great. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, so the backlot stuff, so, what, what, what did that consist of, the the stuff that you were really in there with? The backlot stuff was, um, I mean, I would I photographed and took measurements at like 2 o'clock in the morning of a number of buildings that Stanley would see pictures of and say, yeah, let's get that one, that one, that one. And then the production designer, art director, said they were building it. So by the time I got there... It was built, um, but I came with books and books and books of dressing of different windows of how we can switch it up. We wound up making the back lot too small. 
that's why it got changed over so much. It was really shaped like a H. Mm. It needed really like one more street. But I think that maybe there wasn't an anticipation of how much it would be used or whatever. So what would happen is that we would shoot and then, and I would reference off of stuff like, I'm like, this was a nail salon. And then I'd say, oh, look, let's make it like a psychic place. And I showed Stanley and I'm like, let's do this. And he's like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and then would say like, the aging isn't good. Like, let's make sure it's more aged. Or I'd put like more garbage on the street or graffiti. Like, where's this? Like a lot of times I was like, it's not aged enough. It looks too good. Like it's too pristine. Or I, there was always like a lot of, talk about that because I never felt like it was enough mm. um, and then um, so yeah that was it it was just like and then you know everything was supposed to take place at Christmas time so then we had to be like alright we're, you know, we're shooting we need Christmas decorations but like so we had to like find more Christmas decorations and so it was a constant search of like what what was um what we were going to change it over to because we were just using it a lot. Like it was too much. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And then there was the, and then the locations, we did a lot of location scouting to find the right place for the mass ball, you know, and we found that location finally. And then we addressed that. We had to address that and see how that would, um, <clears throat> do you know if that was a hard location to procure? I mean, judge, but I mean, g given the content that would take place in that mansion. No, no, no. I mean, we looked at a bunch just to see. Like, we did a lot of location scouting on that, and then when we finally said, like, oh yeah, that's that's the one. I mean, I don't know if locations had a problem. I never heard anything mm -hmm. that they were like. I, I you know. That was the one we picked, and that's what we used. So. Were you present during the shooting of any any of that in the interior? Yeah, I was in and out. It was in and out. I was there mostly of like, how are we going to set it up? Where are we going to? Okay, here's where this is going to be, where the, you know, the circle and all that happens, and then we can go into these rooms and what is, and what kind of practical lighting can we have because we want the camera to roam all the time. Um, you know, let's call Helmut Newton. How does he find those girls? Those conversations. Mm. <laughs> you know, Leon. Leon did a lot of that work. That was that was like all Leon. Yeah, we spoke to the choreo um, the choreographer behind that. We spoke to her a few months ago. And uh, that's yeah, a, that's an in interesting story as well. <laughs> as well. Uh, so so you so how, all in all, how how long were you in England with the production? I was probably there for a year. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I don't remember. Probably about a year. I had gone back. There was no ending to the film. <laughs> We didn't have an ending. So I had gone back. My best friend was getting married. So I was like, Stanley, I got to go back in September. I'm made of honor. My best friend's getting married. And everybody kept saying, 
you're not going to go back. He's not going to let me go back. And I'm like, fuck me. I'm going back. There's no way I'm not going back. So it was like this whole thing about, he's not going to let you go back. He doesn't let anybody leave. I'm like, I'm going back. I don't give a shit. So, but what he wound up doing, because he's so slick, is he knew I was going to go back. But what he did is he's like, okay, great, because I need you to go back to New York because I'm thinking about maybe the ending will take place. And so then he had me go back to go photograph places. And I, and I just kind of smiled. And I was like, okay. So I went back. I was like, see, I'm going back. But, <laughs> and then, uh, so he kind of like worked it out that it was okay for me to go back because I was doing work for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and was that the uh the the toy s- store was that modeled on feo schwartz or... it was a toy st- but no actually i went back to shoot restaurants oh i see he was going to end it in a restaurant and then they decided to do it in a toy sh- toy store i mm. never shot a toy store they just you know picked a toy store i guess and so yeah like, it, it, it was very fo fao schwartz like mm. You know, it felt it felt right, but um, but that was the thing. I mean, when he was like, I don't know, I'm not trying to end it, and blah blah blah. I even wrote an ending. Like that's how open it was, and how the relationship was. So I like two weeks later, I was like, I wrote an ending for you, yeah, if you want it. <laughs> and he looked at me and just laughed. He was like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. So, so like, why not? Yeah. So after the shooting ended, did your communications with him continue? Yeah, because I was still doing second unit. Mm. So, I mean, shooting ended and they were editing, but there was still some shots left. So we were still in communication. Um, I mean, I was like, I spoke to him the day he passed. I was supposed to shoot one last shot on Monday. And he passed on Saturday. So then when he passed, my mother called me and was like, did we see the news? And I didn't believe it until I called um, his cell phone. And Cristiano answered and she never answered his cell phone. So I was like, Cristiano Teresa and she just broke down. And then I called Vivian and Vivian said, come to London. So I just got a flight out immediately and went to the house and stayed at Chitterbury and helped them prepare for the funeral and mm. had my last goodbye with Stanley and because he was, when I got there, he was still in the house and the coffin was still open. You know, you could open it. So I went and I was very fortunate to have a moment with him by myself. Oh, wow. And so was the, the- they're like just they're like just close the coffin on your way out. Oh my god, that was <laughs> insane. Oh wow. So yeah, his, because did you ever try and close a coffin while it's on a gurney in like an empty room at three o'clock in the morning at night? It was it was there. It was like being in one of his films. I was like, I can't believe this. Is so he is. So the family had friends and and loved ones come in to say their goodbyes to him in, in the house. No, it was only the family. Okay. No, nobody was there yet. Nobody was there yet. So it was just the family. And the next, I had gotten there and they had said the next day, the family was going to say their last goodbyes and seal the coffin. So because I got there that night, I was sitting in the kitchen with, you know, 
the sisters and the brother-in-laws and stuff. And they said, why don't you say your last goodbyes? Mm. So they actually were generous enough to just say, bring me downstairs and open the coffin and have that moment. And then the next day, just Christian and the kids were alone and had the moment, sealed the coffin. And then the day after that is when the funeral happened at the house and Tom and Nicole and Belay. And then, you know, everybody came, Spielberg, but the coffin was closed. It was sealed already. So it was just, um, nobody saw, you know, yeah. saw him. And then we, then he was buried in the backyard. So the, the last conversation you had with him, it was strictly about what you were going to shoot on Monday. Yeah. Yeah, on Saturday, he was like, all right, you ready? You ready on Monday? You got everything? I said, yeah, I'm ready. Everything's good. Um, it was that day. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, you know, good luck. And, you know, call me and let me know how it goes. And, you know, whatever. And I was like, all right. And um, and by that time, he had, already, that, he, had already, he had already screened a, uh, a cut of it, I think, that Thursday. He had, yeah. He had screened a cut Thursday. I talked to him Saturday. Mm. So what happened was, first, because he was like, find me a screening room to screen this because he was afraid people, he didn't want people to see and blah, blah, blah. And then finally, Warner Brothers, like, he didn't trust anybody. So he finally, like, Warner Brothers was like, come on, like, we can, we'll be secure. So yeah. <laughs> all right. He had me like looking for screening rooms, like secret screening rooms for him. Um, and then, so yeah, so then on Saturday, so the shot that I was doing was a shot that was already in the movie. It was, it was, I shot it already the year before. It was the establishing shot in the beginning of Ziegler's, um mansion. Mm-hmm. And when he put it into the film, he said, you know what, now that I'm looking at it, it doesn't look like lively enough, like there's a big party going on. He was like, can you, let's go back to the same exact angle, but just like get a couple of limos, ask them to put the lights on, you know, like let's make it a little bit more festive outside, maybe get some people outside. So, um, so that's what my plan was. Yeah. Oh, and the, and, so, and and man, that that's such a gorgeous those that shower of lights on the staircase of of the Ziegler mansion. I re, I remember yeah. it's just gorgeous. Yeah. So, so sorry to interrupt. Obviously, I canceled. <laughs> no, no worries. So I I canceled the shoot. I canceled it on Monday. Obviously, I went to London. And then when I got there, we decided what do we do, and we decided to go back and do it. And again, because we knew that's what he wanted and we knew exactly. It was a shot already in there. It wasn't like some, and it's not like a plot point, you know, it's an establishing shot. So, so I went back and did it after he passed, which was really intense. I mean, Mm. we got very close. It was very, very hard. We were going to work on AI with him. We had talks about what we were going to do for testing, how we, what, he said it was going to take five years, but we were already in AI already. Okay, so you guys had had conversations about that. Did, did you Oh yeah. Did you get a sense from him that he was really happy with, with Eyes Wide Shut? 
No, we never really got to talk about it because he just showed that first cut. Like, I, I never asked him, actually, like, how's the cut going? Like, I just, I don't think I ever asked. Yeah. It's funny. It's like, you know, when you think, like, someone's going to be around forever, like, when he passed, I was like, my God, so many things I didn't say or ask or, you know. Yeah. Just because, you know, you're like, whatever. Oh, family, what? Why are you calling me again? You know, when you get <laughs> after four years, yeah. there's a, you know, you have a relationship where you're like, oh, fuck, what? What? We just talked. What do you want? <laughs> you know. So... And we could have that relationship because there is that, there was in New York, I realized when I was on set in London that, wow, a lot of his stuff is also um, cultural that people aren't understanding. Mm. Like he's not mad, he's just talking like a New Yorker, you know, like he's like, He's not, it's not directed at you. It's like, he might say like, why the fuck is his pen here? That was mm. ridiculous. Why is that here? So instead of getting like flustered about it, like I saw people would get fired. They're like, all right, give me the pen. It's gone. Go. Whatever. So it was, there's like, um, I was like, oh, this is interesting. He, you know, he's lived here for so long, but culturally he still has that yeah. New York thing, you know? Mm. So when you finally saw the film, uh, was it a what kind of uh, emotional experience was it for you? I mean, it was, it was, I mean, I went to the premiere in LA and it was with Vivian and so many people, and it was very difficult for me. I mean, I couldn't really watch it and take it in as a film, mm. you know. First of all, I felt every single frame there was a memory. Mm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like every frame, I'm like, oh, right, that light, remember when that happened? Oh, that, oh yeah, that looks pretty good. Oh, what? Like, I couldn't even say whether I liked the film or not. I couldn't judge it at yeah. all. It was more of like, I was thinking of things I was like, because I knew Leon had to do the sound mix, and then Vivian would be like, oh, they did that double sound mix you know he always did mono he would have hated that and we were like what is the color correction like we were it was like we were just it was too difficult mm. i couldn't i couldn't i know a lot of people didn't like it um i had really there were people who would come to me and love it and people who hated it so um a lot of the people who are in like relationships were the people who liked it, people who weren't in relationship, I found didn't like it, which was interesting because he used to say that, and Chris Young said this also, where it's like a lot of their relationship is in that movie. So it was like very personal mm. on a lot of levels. Um, but, I mean, still today, it's, it's really painful. I mean, it was very, very painful and grief-stricken when he passed. And also being so close to the family and being close to Vivian and then her pain, you know, my good friend and losing her father. It was just, it was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. lot. And then there was a, there was a grief of not getting the credit that I should have gotten. That was very painful. Um, 
so there's 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 just like a lot of stuff attached to it. Do you, do you do you feel do you feel like the the film we and I know you're probably asked this a lot. It's a main question when it comes to Eyes Wide Shut. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you, <clears throat> do you feel? I'm sorry. <clears throat> Man, uh, do you feel like the finished film that we see uh, reflects what his what his vision was for it? You know, I don't know this to be fact at all. I can say only by instinct and being a filmmaker myself. That was the first cut that the studio and Tom and Nicole saw. Mm. Do I think that there was more cutting, trimming, finessing? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I do. I think there is. I don't think there's major plot point and story like I don't think that but do I think that there's things yeah I, I think that there probably was um, but I don't know that you know the thing is is that when I went to London and we had a meeting with the family and Terry Semmel who's the head of one of brothers at that time what do we do do we leave the film do we address any notes that we thought he had? Do we what? What do we do? Who finishes the film if that's what's the case? What is that going to be? So the decision was we can't touch the film. Mm. It's got to be where it is and stay how it is. The only thing that's going to be done is I'll go out, I'll do that last shot. It's a fucking establishing shot, so it's not gonna, you know, never here nor there. It's already in the film. You don't even know how many seconds it's up for. Um, and Leon will take care of all the color correction and sound since that he's been consistently doing that for all of his films. He's been the one working yeah. with Stanley all this time doing that. He's got the relationship with the lab. He's, you know, that's what made the most sense. So that's what happened. Did you? So that's why I feel like there would have been something more. I'm sure there would have been. I mean, he. I mean, even if you look at something like The Shining, I mean, he was editing after it was released. <laughs> so yeah, you know. But yeah. Uh, so, but the did you have any uh, knowledge of uh, the digital insertions in the orgy scene? If that was always his intention? Oh my God! No, no. No, that came later. That came after he died. Yeah. That was a decision that, oh my God, Vivian was so mad. That was, it was, we were like, what? He was, oh, there's no fucking way. Mm. No way. He went, <laughs> he was trying to figure out how the rating was going to be. I remember he called me up one day and he's like, all right, so I can't get a straight answer from the, oh my God, what are they called? The rating people. Oh um, yeah, the, the board, uh, Motion Picture Association board, yeah. Yeah. He said, I, he, he's like, I've been trying to get a straight answer, like, what are the regulations? Like, is there like a half a nipple? Are you seeing, is it an R? Is that a And like, what, what are we gauging this by? What is this? And he said, so why don't you call and pretend like you're a student and you're writing a paper 
and you're just like asking these, you're doing research and asking these questions about like, you know, what are the guidelines? What are the things? And blah, blah. and I was like, okay. So I did. <laughs> I, this is the kind of stuff we did all the time. It was always like, pretend that, why do you, you know, it's like, this is why I love just quirky with him because it was always like, it's like a student film. This is the only way I could put it, you know, it's just like, whatever. So, I, and he would love it. It's like, you know, like detective work, right? He, mm. He'd be like, all right, call me as soon as you're here. Call me as soon as you're here. Okay. So, so I called them, and they had no, there was nothing. There were no guidelines. There was no paper. There was nothing you could look at. They were basically like, we look at it, and we make a determination. There was no, like, 30 seconds, 10 seconds, 5 seconds of a breath. None of that. Mm. So he was like, I can't believe this. So I guess he just, he was like, all right, I'll just go with it. And they just went with what they felt. But, you know, whether, I mean, I never heard of that. And I, and I can't imagine. It looked horrible. I was like, when I saw it on, in, um, I was in shock when I first saw it. It took me aback. Vivian and I were sitting next to each other. We were like, what the fuck? Yeah, it was not good. Mm. So, uh, before I let you go, I want to ask about uh, what you're doing now, um, and particularly, are are you still the uh, the the vice president of the National Young Arts Foundation? Or I am. I'm still the vice president of National Fo- Young Arts Foundation. But when I joined on, it's like acting like as an artistic director. When I joined on, you know, I said I'm still doing my work though. So we have like a great deal that I go off and do my my work in the world and work there also. So mm-hmm. I'm working a lot. But um so I've had a, a bunch of photography exhibitions. Um, I had a book released in 2015 and had a show in the Bronx Museum and one in Berlin and Milan and Amsterdam. And then um, have been now directing TV. So I've done Grey's Anatomy. I've done a couple of episodes of a show called Greenleaf, a couple of episodes of a pop. And I was just about to leave to New York to go direct... um, He's in Canaan, which is Power 3 from the Power series. And, um, you know, everything got locked up. So yeah. right before my episode, it closed down. So I'm hoping in, in, the, in the summer, in the fall, it will pick up again. Yeah. yeah. I have one yeah, question. I have one question about Canaan. directing TV. Because sure. uh, obviously TV, I mean, it runs, you know, 10, 13, 26 episodes, a series or what have you. And they bring in a number of people come in and out. What is it like for you as uh, to come into an already kind of established family? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's, that seems like an odd kind of dynamic. Yeah, it is. That's what's so great about when you get asked back to a show. Then it's really fun because then it's like going to visit your like aunts and uncles. So mm-hmm. you're like, hey, I'm back. Everyone's all happy. <laughs> but when you first get there, yeah, it's it's um it's definitely interesting. I mean, people are very welcoming usually because you know you're the guest director, and, you know, and so. But it's like Kerry Washington said something to me that really 
hit home. She said, being a guest director is like being a substitute school teacher. Mm. If you walk on, as soon as you walk on set and if they smell any fear, it's over. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, you nailed it. It's true. No matter what, you have to pretend you know what you're doing at all times. <laughs> mm. Wow. Um, but it's, it's, I, I enjoy it. Like I wasn't sure, but I really love it because I love like dipping in and out. It's like, you know, I usually do our dramas. So it's like that nine day prep, 10 day shoot. So it's like, you get to like dip into the scale and get to know everybody and get to, you know, and see, and then you leave, mm. you're not like stuck there. You know, like where I'm feature films, sometimes it's like it's like a year with the same people, or or even if it's just the shooting crew, you know, it's months or whatever. So it's it's really kind of like you're like dipping in and out, and yeah, it's the it's, I, I it's the exact it. opposite of working with Stanley. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's exact opposite, <laughs> exactly.